HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly, a show where I speak to incredible women about their careers and success. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to someone who has helped propel the careers of some of the country's most important and beloved chefs. Without her, you might not have heard all kinds of things about Tom Clicko, April Bloomfield, Michael Simon, and many, many more. She's going to reveal the secrets to invisible PR. But first, a little bit about what I ate this week, because I ate really well. I had the most amazing bacon from Fatted Calf. Now, Fatted Calf is not is in San Francisco, and Heritage Foods distributes it. So I kind of went to the office and was given a care package that included wide-cut bacon, and I was very happy to receive it. When I cooked it up, it was like getting, you know, in Manhattan, there are like the skinny townhouses and double wides. This was like a double wide slab of bacon. And when you cooked it up, it was crispy and also really meaty. You know how sometimes like bacon just disappears in the pan and there's nothing left because it's all the fat. But this had crispy fat and lots of meat and it was so incredibly good. So thank you, Heritage Foods. I also had the pleasure of going to Empeillon in Midtown, which is Alex Dupac's brand new two-floor restaurant. It is big and brash, but it's also elegant and smart. And you can have a margarita and tacos, or you can have food that can surprise you, like something that looks like an avocado and yet turns out to be a parfait molded into the shape of an avocado that's been airbrushed. Very cool. And I have the originator of this great dish and many more on the line. Alex, are you there? Hey, Dana. How are you? I am fabulous. I, all of your dishes have stories, 
And I would love to hear the story behind the hash brown taco that you're serving at Empeon now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're here in Midtown, and I wanted the new place to be a neighborhood joint. So I started looking around at what I, what I think of as iconic dining experiences in Midtown, and one of them is undeniably the steakhouse, I think. So to me, when I order a side at a steakhouse, I always get the hash browns, and I thought it would be really cool to have sort of things like the cut bacon and steak tacos and hash brown tacos on the menu. And that's really the, the original impetus for it. Uh, we make our hash browns a little bit more sort of fast food style. Uh, we kind of figured out how McDonald's does it and, and dialed in the technology. No way. Tell and, me how. Tell me how. Yeah, so um, the potatoes are cooked at, uh, at low temp, at like 70 degrees, where they're still raw, but it kind of sets the starch. Huh. And then you can grate them and pack them into a mold and freeze them. And then you have these uh, these little patties that you can deep fry. Wow, well yeah. they're they're so they're crunchy and delicious. And I, you know, I'm not a, ta- a taco aficionado, but I certainly love the notion of <laughs> you know that kind of filling along with the tomatillo ketchup. That ketchup is delicious. Uh, thank you so much. And yeah, I'm a big fan of carbs on carbs. I know that uh, people are very phobic about those things these days, but. There's something so gratifying texturally about starchy crunch wrapped around um, with that, that soft tortilla wrapped around it. Yeah, well, let's talk about more carbs that I love that you make, which are those fideos, which are, you know, they have that incredible creamy cheese and these um, fantastic mushrooms. And tell me about the fideos dish and what was the, the thought behind that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it, the fideos, it's a, it's a Mexican pasta dish, which has always fascinated me, that idea that pasta is factually consumed on the regular in Mexico. I think as Americans, we don't think about that. Um, and it's sort of like risotto. The, the noodles are, are broken into small bits, and they're toasted, and then they're cooked slowly in a mushroom broth. And we get this really great uh, aged cotija cheese directly from Michoacan. It's um, to me, it's Mexico's answer to Parmesan cheese, and mm. it's a strong answer back. And we just load as much of it as the pasta will accept. <laughs> well, then the dessert, of course, having had the amazing uh, pastry background that you have, it doesn't surprise me that you've done something spectacular at Empion with dessert. And Instagram loves this avocado, and so did I when I ate it, which I think is always great. Sometimes something looks really good, and you taste it, and you're like wow, that only looked good. But tell me about the origin of that great uh, parfait with the lime ice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dessert is always going to be my favorite part of the menu. To me, it's it's the toy department of the restaurant. (laughs) And and with dessert, you really have the opportunity to play. Uh, When you think about it, if you order a piece of fish, you expect it to kind of be in its original state. Whereas... In this case, we made um, a really great avocado parfait glace, which I love just because I think most of us are not used to tasting avocado in a sweet context. Right. Uh, but, but we then uh, use a mold, a silicone mold, and uh, some airbrushing techniques to actually reform it and make it look um, mimetic of its original self. So it actually looks like a perfect half slice of an avocado um, with the pit removed. 
I also love that even though it's airbrushed, usually you airbrush to get the bumps out, but you airbrush it and you still have the feeling of the outside skin of an avocado and it's bumpy. The airbrushing is sort of a dark color because that's the color of an avocado skin. So what did you airbrush that parfait with to make it dark and bumpy? Yeah, we well, the the bumps come from the actual impression the of the mold, right? And, and the the colors are just a. Um, it just came with a lot of practice. It was just this proprietary blend of of greens and blacks and browns to to really get that peel to look uh, as accurate as possible. But I'm hoping that it wasn't. You're not airbrushing paint, right? It's vegetable dye. No, no, it, it's uh, it's vegetable dye. It's all natural. <laughs> That's good. Well, Alex- it is a paint job of sorts, though. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to have Empion in Midtown now as an option for everything from margaritas to dessert. And congratulations on an extraordinary opening. And I'll be back soon. Thank you so much, Dana. Can't wait to have you back. Now I, I want to welcome today's guest, Becca Parrish, who is the founder of Becca PR. Becca is the practitioner of elegant PR. She believes that if her work is good, it will be totally invisible. Now, I really get that idea, that self-effacing notion, but I will tell you, when I was the editor of Food & Wine magazine and we knew that a chef we worked with had Becca as their PR, we were thrilled because from the editorial point of view, her team was not invisible at all. They were completely on top of it. They fulfilled our every wish and dream and made our jobs really easy. So um, So great to hear. Not really invisible. It was more like invaluable. Mm. And I think that all comes from the top because you have such a strong point of view, Becca. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Now, you have worked with great chefs, Mm -hmm. and each one of them, I'm sure, has... You know their own story to tell, which is what you're so expert at doing. But can you give me an example of how invisible PR works by showcasing like one great chef that you've mm-hmm. worked with and how you worked your magic on him or her? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean, there's so many stories, but I think that I would um, talk about Eric Repair from Le Bernardin, so who I've been lucky enough to work with for the last. 12 years, which is shocking, actually. But um, <laughs> but Eric, when he first... Um, I, I had a tiny little office on 6th Avenue, and, um, and I swear it was an answering machine, because I remember I could hit the button and it would, you know, speak into the room. And I thought <laughs> that someone was playing a joke, because it was like, this is, hello, you know, hello, this is Eric the pair. I like to talk to Baker, you know. And I was like, who's... Eric who's, cold called who, you? Yes. No way. Well, he'd heard my name, apparently, from two people who didn't know each other. So we called and, and we met, and um, I remember him saying, you know, I've never been in timeout. Do you think you can get me in timeout? And for, I love that. For I mean, and it just, just set the scene here. I mean, Eric Repair is one of the greatest cooks in the entire world. world. Certainly. Well known for, you know, his fish cookery and, and his excellence. But I guess back then he was really at the high end, and so some place that was more democratic, like timeout, had right. apparently how, how, about could, him. how could he get in there? So I think the, the challenge was then, and it, is, it has changed, you know, through those these twelve years. But was how do you um, 
continue and, and support that the esteem in which he's held, but then make him more accessible to a younger audience who is going to be essential for the long-term success of Liver in the Den. It's a very and, smart of, of Eric to ask you that yes. question, right. you know, because he could have said, I want the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, and you'd be like, okay, but you're not helping your brand very much. Right. So, so I think um, finding things that, that a timeout theoretical audience would relate to um, you know, we learned that Eric liked to cook out of a toaster oven for uh-huh. his son, which was legitimate. You know, anything that rings true. I mean, we're all about searching for stories that are genuine, obviously. But, but that was interesting. Um, you know, even him. Uh, I mean, he's he's very fanatical about speakers. Speakers? He's, yes, like what he listens to. Really? Yeah. So I remember we did something in the Times on that, but. And even, you know, through the years, he's warmed talking about his his spiritual side and right. his, you know, belief in Buddhism and his practice. And But that was not something we talked about for many, many years. So, And was that a conscious choice on yes, both of your parts? Yes, to keep it private, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why was that? Did you feel, I mean, did you feel the world wasn't ready for that? for or? him, but I do think that, you know, I think your priorities and, and what is meaningful to you naturally just changes as we get older, and I think it became, it's almost become more of who he is as he's gotten older, and, and, you know, you care more about how you're treating the fish and the lobster, you know, how do you kill it humanely? I mean, we never did that story, but, but it's true. And I mean, you know that that rings particularly true with me because Eric helped me um, learn to kill a lobster for my book, Mastering My Mistake in the Kitchen. And he had me kill a lobster with a gigantic knife. And I was so intimidated. I thought he was going to I came to him and said, how do you kill a lobster? And I thought he was going to say, you either freeze it or you pat it on the head, both mm. of which I'd heard, or you um, you put it you know, in the pot head first. And no, he wanted the most humane way to kill a lobster, which is with a gigantic kitchen knife. And I struggled. And I, I afterwards I said, Eric, you know, I just, that was so hard. And he said... You know, your mind is not at the tip of the knife. I mean, it was so deep. He was basically right. saying, "You are not concentrating. Like the knife is stronger than the shell." Right. Anyway, right. His, well, good. You did it. I uh, barely with his help, <laughs> but, but I felt I was hurting his Buddhist soul. He told me that I would come back as a lobster, considering <laughs> how I killed that animal. Um, and so, but when you talk about invisible. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? I think that there is, uh, I mean, I do believe that elegant PR, you don't really know where it's coming from. You don't know who's doing it. You just keep either reading or seeing or hearing your friends talk about this place or this person that you have to check out. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I guess that, that leads to the notion that you haven't tried to make yourself a personality. It's not, not at all. like, hey, you know, look at me and look at all the people I represent. You're absolutely you not. just want them to Yes. The New York Observer does that I don't know how it started a few years ago, but it does this list of fifty I mean I'll do categories of um, you know, niche PR and, and marketing, but the top fifty most powerful list and, and suddenly we popped on it at like 24 or something and it said you know Becca who so you may not have heard of her but I was like fantastic I mean that's exactly right because I didn't do anything to get on that list and I really do think it's not about me why would it be and and when I was starting my company which is about 13 years ago 
um, I wanted to name it Conduit because I felt like I'm just, you know, a conduit between people doing cool things, interesting stories, and then those that can tell them. But my brother was like, oh, that sounds like a hardware store. Like, no way. (laughs) So I opted for my name, which I, you know still have have somewhat uh as i said i i i'm struggling now i mean i'm not as certainly as i'm very comfortable championing people that i believe in and i really love to find great stories but am less comfortable talking about myself and why do you think that is like i think it's not it doesn't it's not just an issue with you mm-hmm. i talk to so many women who do not want to talk about themselves what do you think I that think is? that I, I'm curious about it. I think that women limit themselves by wanting to be good at everything. I mean, I certainly do that somewhat. And, and so you're only going to take on what you know matches your skill set. And I think men are far more comfortable being having a little bit more bravado, more confidence and saying, yeah, we'll do it. And then figuring it out right. afterward. And, and, you know, that's limiting, I think, to, to women in general. And so... So, you know, my eight-year-old's here, and I hope she'll have a little bit more gusto, nerve, verve, and plenty of reserve. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's had a great role model. Mm -hmm. So talking about the things that you know deeply and well, you have um, a degree in creative writing. Yes. And you graduated with a degree in journalism. Master's, yes. Master's in Mm -hmm. journalism, sorry. And when I read that, I thought, well, of course you're doing what you're doing. Right. I, is PR all storytelling? And what is? how do you find the stories within people that you want to tell? Right. It, um, I'm, well, about finding the, the stories. I think it is about asking great questions and being curious. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you are endlessly curious, it sort of, it will always feed that need in you and I had it on a personal level I I had it as a child so I think that what was it like like you know do you have memories of just asking too many questions or certainly and part of it was I always wanted to know what is the most interesting um meaningful life you can can carve out for yourself and I and I wanted to find that out by asking people about their lives and the choices that they had made and anything that they regretted and I was endlessly curious about about having a child and you know if if there are amount of finite experiences that we know we can have as humans like to me that is one of the greatest and I'm thrilled that I had my daughter um so I think that that I I was almost using it for selfish you know, too. Like, I, I really was curious about people, but wanted to to help myself, you know, figure out what I, where I was going to go in my life. And then by asking people questions and then helping them tell their stories, mm-hmm. it helped you figure out your own life along the way. Is Definitely. that what you're saying? Yes. That's, yes. A, that's a beautiful thought. Mm-hmm. It's become very difficult to break through the clutter because there's mm-hmm. so much information out there. I mean, there's so many channels yes. that people can control their own channels. Uh, how do you break through the clutter? How, how do you make it so that mm-hmm. someone can be seen, you know, in 10 different places at once? Sure. Well, you said the, the word point of view earlier. Um, but I think that you have to have a clear point of view. You have to know who you are. You have to, it has to be real. And I, you know, partly started my company because I couldn't stand behind anyone that I didn't really believe in mm-hmm. and that I didn't like because we work really hard. My team and I work very hard. And and if we don't like the 
person that we're working for, we're, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you interview your clients as much absolutely. as they interview you. And, I, you know, you have to have that enthusiasm. You, enthusiasm. you have to want you, to work with them. Right. Um, and, and so I think it does feel like at this stage, but always, I, I wouldn't want to take a dollar from someone unless I thought I was going to exceed their expectations. And I think... Um, but ha- but just technically, like let's say, you know, is it that you're pitching more? Is it like what? I mean, right now, yeah. How do you? Because I think everybody in their own little way mm-hmm. participates in um, sort of promotion. Promotion, yeah, exactly. Sure. No, I've always and, said anyone could have a. Everyone, all of us, could talk about ourselves to other people. You know, everyone could have a publicist if you wanted one. And it could be you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could be the individual. The, so yeah. how, how do you actually, is it, you know, endless pitching? Is it, uh, no. No. The, the breadth of what we do has changed so much in a way that's being, that is very interesting. To me, personally, as a visual person, the fact that brands can speak visually and that social media is incredibly exciting to me, and it always was. Like, we hired a social media person eight years ago. And really have been um, uh, pushing forward in that way. And I think that is part of the success of the company is that we've evolved, too. As our clients have grown, we've grown as well and, and grown with them. Um, but I think the breadth of, of opportunities for uh, a chef or a restaurateur or a hotelier or, you know, it's it's so exciting because there's so many collaborations that are possible. So many people are interested and want to get in food. Um, so the the reputation, the traditional media, if you will, of that is part of building a reputation. That's a, a piece of it, but then the constant, the the um, the dynamic social media, the, that engagement. It's all so fast and so now and it requires you to be nimble and to me it's exciting where you don't have to worry and plan let's plan for this year and this you know for this one tiny little product and then announcement you can't do that anymore you have to be constantly throwing up a lot of of I would like to say something other than bullet darts and seeing what (laughs) sticks you know and seeing what's more meaningful and then testing that stuff out then you can help decide like what is the dna of this restaurant or this person and what's meaningful to you what worked what didn't work and so it requires so a lot more engagement but where are you testing it you're saying you're putting things on instagram you're using facebook facebook live doing events you know and 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 even newsletters i mean you know it, it's all marketing now right i mean we i, I the idea of like even not using the word PR, but I still PR is public facing. It's still relevant. It is. There are know, people who think management. That, um, oh, I mean, there are people who say that PR just doesn't exist anymore. Sure. And um, you would dispute that. Well, I would say that. I mean, I, I uh, my whole tagline when I started was I was the anti PR PR, uh-huh. and my first interview at the Odeon. Um, they ended the meeting saying, you know, we don't like publicists, but we like you. Well, I didn't like publicists either. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want my eight-year-old to go say, oh, I want to be a publicist when I grow up. Why right. on earth would I? Uh-huh. Um, I fell into it because I was curious and good at telling stories, and I wanted desperately to live in New York City. <laughs> but, um, but I think there isn't – I agree that it's marketing, but the how you relate to the public and what you're choosing to tell them and – asking the questions to get to the root 
uh, for a, in a client relationship, what are you all about? What do you want? Where do you want to be in five years? What don't you want to do? And to really give them sort of a roadmap and, and a lens through which every opportunity that comes their way, every potential collaboration, every potential space, is it feeding? Is it answering those bigger picture goals? Um, that they have because it sort of simplifies things to say yes to and things to say no to. Um, so, so in that way, um, PR actually becomes a strategy arm of their mm-hmm. business. Yeah, it's. I mean, I always said, you know, the we do thoughtful PR, the rarest kind, and 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 that's one reason I want to get away from using PR because there are, are a lot of bad publicists, without question. And, and what um, do the bad publicists do? Well, I just think they take whatever they can uh-huh. without r- maybe not caring enough or not knowing maybe this isn't a great story. And then they, you know, send bad pitches or press releases um, yeah, to those people are, those like are dead, right? in your, yes, in your form of capacity would get those kinds of things. We don't, I haven't sent a press release for eight years. I mean, since Twitter came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't, um, I don't go to an editor or a producer unless I think they're going to say yes. Otherwise, I'm not going to waste their time. And I have many friends who are like, you never pitch me. I never hear from you. Well, that's only because I didn't have something for you, you know? So I think it's being very selective and strategic. And I think there are people that just don't do that, you know? Uh, I think that notion of not... Uh, of only being there when you know someone will want something. There are probably people who have the exact opposite. Like, no, I'm going to beat down the door every single time. You never know when someone's going to say yes. But I think the strategy behind actually understanding what the um, the media company, the whatever the editor wants, is right. so important. Oh gosh. So between all of the things that a chef has in their own hands, or hospitality, mm-hmm. whatever, which is um, social media. Which one do you think drives the most business, actual business? You know, some something like Instagram might be for image. Something for yes. Twitter might be for butts and seats. Do you have a thought I on that? I do think that television continues to move the needle. I hate jargon speak, but, but move the needle more than anything. Wow. It just does. If you're selling a book, um, if you're yeah, doing some sort of special promotion, um, TV really does do it. And why is that? I think there are a lot of people watching television at home. I th- and we're New Yorkers, and we're out and about, and rarely do. But I don't think that's a majority of people, and it's global, you know. Right. And so you would always head for TV before you head for sort of the more fractured. No, we do it all. No, oh, you've got to have it all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't choose one over the other. Um, and you know, and it's that's the the inexact science and sort of the frustrating part about. And I, I I don't mean to. I mean I've always related more to the food industry than I have to being like a PR person. But there's lots of great PR too, and um, a, a great PR partner is incredibly valuable and incredibly mm-hmm. powerful. Um, but I do think that the it's important to be under the radar and to you know feel like you're in house. Um, and, and in some ways, it's an underappreciated uh, medium or, or role, which I'm totally comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's behind the scenes. One of the things that I like to um, do on this show is talk about jobs that people might not know about that mm-hmm. they might want to have. And if somebody wanted to sort of grow up to be mm-hmm. uh, a great PR person or right. marketer, where do they start and what skills do they need to be really great? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think that because I, I have intentionally not hired, you know, traditional PR people or that studied communications in college, um, just because, you know, I think it's more important, A, to be smart and interesting and to have a life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Those people are appealing to me that add to my life, too. Right. Um, and so I, I think that the and why I mean, it's a joke now, but I, you know, I have 25 employees and they're all women. But I think that that ability to multitask, to consider, um, I mean, really to, to be aware of deadlines to be able to um, anticipate something before, you know, to, to be a little, not psychic, but, you know, it, just to be... To think ahead. Yeah, to think ahead. Thank you. And, um, and you know, that, to have that sensitive, not sensitive, but to have a sensibility of reading people and if they're uncomfortable being able to tell that mm-hmm. um, or if they're you know be, being able to draw people out but also because there's so many different situations you're in be it with a TV producer or you know um, I mean something that's happening at an event I mean it, it is difficult to put it all in one package but I think I reluctantly admitted because I really wanted to be a newspaper reporter uh-huh. and was comfortable with that, with asking those questions and writing. I loved it. Um, and I have, but I knew that I had other skills that weren't being used. Mm-hmm. And so and it really was, it really is this job that plays into all of them. I'm fascinated that you have 25 employees Me and they're all, <laughs> first of all, yeah. that's mm-hmm. a lot of people. So yeah. congratulations on that. But also that they're all women. Mm-hmm. I know, and it is Have the most you ever supportive. Had? I mean, I wish we, let's call them now, yeah. but it's the most supportive, um, not uh, you know, fun-loving, um, non-competitive. Which you know, and some people may. I know I work for people that you know that was how they they ran the office was to encourage competitiveness in house. But I um, don't operate that way. But have you really ever is, had any men in the office? I, we've had a couple of interns. <laughs> And that's but, as far as they've gotten. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hire a man. I truly would. But at this point, it would be strange. And I'm not strange. I don't know. The poor guy. He <laughs> maybe couldn't be straight. I don't know. But um, when I was at Food & Wine, Food & Wine had, you know, lots and lots of women. In the edit, And we had a few men. The editorial meetings would generally be like seven, eight, nine women and Ray Isle. The, yeah, the wine so editor. lovely. And Ray, I don't think Ray minded at all. I don't. Oh, I'm sure. No, I'm sure. The, the right guy is going to saunter in. Maybe today. Maybe he'll hear you, hear us, Dana, and it's going to happen this week. Someone's going to apply yeah. for a job at, at Becca PR, a I, guy. Uh, come, bring it on. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> you love the visuals. You have mm-hmm. such a great sense of style. Do you train your team in the visuals, like to take pictures? Are they taking pictures now? Or they... No, but I am very critical. I mean, they know the things that I, I'm a super supportive boss, and I think I'm really open, and I really care about those young women. Um, but I am critical about the visuals. That's always the thing that, I mean, how things look, how yep. we present themselves. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that's one thing they know to, to sort of always run by me first. Um, and then do you train your clients in how to shoot and how to oh, do that's their what, that's, sort of I'm sorry, PR? I missed the, your question. I, I do think that we, yes, we do a lot of that, and we're doing it more. We have a whole digital team now, um, and Jamie, who had set up on my team, is really a, a superstar. And, and there's a way to give that kind of feedback because it is kind of personal. Yeah. So um, 
I love the sound of that that office. I'm going to take a moment Surely. to ask you um, about for a quote that inspires. Oh, sure. You. So this quote was on my grandmother's um, refrigerator in Brevard, North Carolina, forever. I just remember reading it as a child and um, and never really talked to her about it, weirdly. But here it is. Some men, or women, never seem to grow old, always active in thought, always ready to adopt new ideas. They are never chargeable with fogeyism. <laughs> Satisfied yet ever dissatisfied. Settled yet ever unsettled. They always enjoy the best of what is and are the first to find the best of what will be. And that is William Shakespeare. Wow. I know. And, and, uh, and why is that important to you? I think that sort of um, endless curiosity for what's new, what's great, and, and what's cool, and my personal thirst for finding them. I mean, there is, being discontent is not, is fantastic professionally hmm. because you're always pushing. That's beautiful. Personally, it's not always as yeah. <laughs> awesome. But I think that, um, but professionally, that it has, you know, fed. Uh, the business. And interestingly, I have a really, I mean, I had this memorized, I would quote it, but it had kind of, um, I'd forgotten about it. And it's so apropos to, to what, you know, what I, we've built, my team and I have built over these last 13 years. Um, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And we are going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to hear more from Becca about inspiration. And we're going to also hear about my, impressive failure at making fondue and how I could have gotten it right with help from Daniel Gritzer. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter.
Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. This is your host, Dana Cowan, and this is my confessional. So I love having parties, and the other day I was inspired to have a fondue party. I was really ambitious. I um, went online and I bought four fondue pots from Amazon, electric ones, So because I knew that was going to be good because I could control the heat. And instead of doing you know fondue for four, I just dove wrote it and dove right in and I did fondue for 16 and I used the recipe from uh, my friend Daniel Gritzer. Daniel are you there? I'm here hi. Hey Daniel. Okay so I read your recipe on Serious Eats and you made it seem completely foolproof and as we know I have a tendency towards <laughs> mistakes so I thought you were really protecting me I I knew the right type of cheese because you said that it should be I end up with Gruyere and Emmentaler mm-hmm. and um, I you know knew about boiling the wine I knew I wasn't going to burn the bottom it was all really good I was I felt I was in a very very good place but then I was standing there in my kitchen with these, I only did three at a time, with three pots going, doing it out of view of my guests, and I put in the wine, and it bubbled, and that was fantastic, and then I put in the cheese, and Daniel, the cheese broke, and it just, it wouldn't cohere, and I assumed it was me, because it always is, and so I had my friends step up, and they're using the beautiful wrist action, and it's kind of coming together, kind of coming together, but it's really slow, and then... Um, a light bulb went off. And the most embarrassing thing is I actually had forgotten to toss the cheese with cornstarch. I think that's why Uh, it didn't (laughs) hold. Is that why it didn't hold together? I suspect. Yeah, that sounds sounds (laughs) like that was probably (laughs) contributing back. That sounds really bad, right? Okay, so um, the light bulb went off, and I tossed in a bunch of cornstarch and I'm just like okay whatever it can't be worse than this glop of cheese in the middle and the wine floating all around it um Uh, so what could I have done so that's what I did what do you think of that as a solution so did it did it work did it come together after you added the cornstarch (laughs) well it came together a bit but I will tell you then it got really gluey so I went from you know wet and sticky to kind of gluey. But in the in between, I did bring the you know the pots to the table, and we all ate fantastic gooey cheese on you know bread, potatoes, and other things. So, um, what would you have done? Well, I'm, I'm glad that it sounds like it got it got kind of mostly saved, and I also <laughs> give you credit for going in whole hog like Yeah, I know. I know. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> There's no halfway. No. Um, yeah, so I, my experience, I mean, fondue is kind of like any cheese sauce. And the trick with most cheese sauces is that um, as you melt, cheese itself is an emulsion. It's basically the cheese, the milk proteins, water, and fat held in a, in a stable emulsion. Okay. Um, when you add heat and you melt cheese, what happens is the, the proteins start to bond together tightly, and it pushes out. It breaks that. It breaks that careful balance that, that's been established in the cheese, and you end up with a grease slick and water and all the other problems that often happen with melting cheese. So when you make a cheese sauce, you're basically trying to add the heat but prevent the breaking of that emulsion at the same time. Yeah, that's what's so, so hard, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> whether it's mac and cheese or it's fondue or or any other cheese sauce, you sort of are faced with the same problem. And there are a handful of tricks 
that you can use to to help you out. So, oh my god, I am so glad you were here to tell is, me this. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> one of them is to add starch. Um, so, in the fondue recipe, it would be cornstarch. I like to toss the starch with the shredded cheese because I, it incorporates really easily and from the beginning that way. Yeah. Um, I have seen some people claim that they melt the cheese first, kind of like you did, and then add the cornstarch, and they say it still works. Uh, so it's not impossible, and it seems like you were able to bring yours back together. Yes. Although, my experience is also that once cheese breaks, bringing it back together is harder than keeping it together in the first place. So yeah, I do like to put it in early. Um, the other things you had going for you, you had um, wine, and the wine has tartaric acid, and acid is another thing that can help prevent uh, the cheese emulsion from breaking. Okay, that's fascinating. Why is that? <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Why, why is that? Like, why does tartaric acid keep cheese? Oh, that, oh yeah. boy. You, you're, you're testing the bounds of my chemistry knowledge. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's just say it, that, that's great. In some, way, in some way, the, the, the acid can bond with uh, or interact with the proteins, um, or maybe they're interacting with something, and it prevents the really tight bonding oh, from cool. happening between the protein molecules. Okay. So it's sort of running interference uh, with, with the thing that happens that causes the emulsion to break. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then also more gentle heat. Like one of the things when I was testing my fondue recipe that I found was that if I accidentally let the fondue get too hot, even with all these other tricks at play, it was basically forcing sort of the inevitable thing from happening, which is that it was going to break. So that is another aspect is kind of gentle, slow heat while you're incorporating the cheese instead of a very vigorous Right. And and what about, um, my friends tried really hard with their excellent wrist um, action, you know, t- stirring the uh, the cheese. Like, how important is, is the wrist in making this thing come together? Like, should are we trying to incorporate air? Are we just trying to, like, what are we trying to do when we're moving the cheese around? Oh, that's a really good question. Right. So when you have, when you're making an emulsion or you're trying to preserve an emulsion that you already have, in the case of cheese, uh, one of the things that's really helpful is mechanical agitation because Oh my god, I should have just done it with an electric frother. That would have been better. Yeah, I mean, you can even, sometimes even like an, uh, an immersion blender or something like that can, can <laughs> in a pinch, can really do like a amazing work for you. Um, yeah, so any kind of, because it's the coalescing of the, say, the fat and the water and the protein molecules that are going to be your problem. So by moving very rapidly, you you keep them dispersed and mixed together, which is essentially what the emulsion is in the first place, though. That is awesome. Okay, I feel, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go at it again. You know, (laughs) I feel like I've made one big mistake and I I tend not to make the same mistake twice and I think now I have some ways around all kinds of challenges. So Daniel, thank you very much for joining me today and I'm gonna let you know what happens. I'll give you one more little tip. Oh, a, a secret a bonus weapon you tip. can have I in your it. back pocket. If yeah. you order online from Amazon, Amazon.com or another website, uh, sodium citrate, it's a, it's a salt, kind of like table salt, which is sodium chloride. This is a secret, very powerful ingredient and a multiplying agent. And it's very similar to what they put in Belvita and Kraft Singles and things oh. like that. It pretty much guarantees that the emulsion won't break. 
So oh if all else fails, if you have that in your pantry and you just put a tiny pinch in, it can really save a day. Okay. Fairy um, dust. <laughs> fairy dust, exactly. And, and clearly, I, I'm not averse to a little ordering online to uh, get my party going. So th- <laughs> thank you, Daniel, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thank okay. you so much. Bye-bye. Becca, are you ready to have a fondue party? I'm so ready. It, it's so funny because I totally dig fondue and have a pot and never use it. So thank you. I, you got to dust it off. Yeah. You know, buy some cheese. That stuff cheese. sounds weird, but I'm into it. Sodium citrate. I wrote it down. I know. I, w- I want to try that too. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that will help me prevent the mistakes in the future, chemical or otherwise. I want to talk about where you find your news because I think mm-hmm. to be a great person to get people on air or get mm-hmm. noticed you have to absorb so much media and i want you to be my filter like if you okay. if, if becca was my filter and i only read what you read the most important of it and it made me informed tell me what would that be like yeah. what's your media diet i mean a couple things i do i think buzzfeed is hilarious and great especially their coverage of food um so I think that's it's relevant because it's so topical and it's so now. Um, Cherry Bomb, I mean, I love Carrie, and I think that she fuses food with politics in a fresh way, and she's obviously very stylish, too, so it looks good and goes down easy. Um, Amanda Clute, her weekend... I love uh, Amanda's yeah, weekend newsletter. review. Yes, oh, exactly. Fabulous. That's so yeah. good on Eaters. Fabulous. And um, Ad Age, if they cover so much marketing... Uh, just in, in globally, that's that's interesting. Adage has a really great newsletter where you can find out the um, most creative ads of the week, but also yeah. because marketing is sort of everything, it also can bring you deep into the news. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the business of fashion and tech crunch. I mean, both industries outside of what I do, but they're. I mean, they also have roundups and business of fashion is uh, daily, but. The TechCrunch one comes on the weekend, and it's always relevant. You know, there's always something going on, and it could be food-related, but it's more just what's happening in the world. And then, frankly, we have we use Slack in our office and have for a couple of years, and we have all our different channels. And the random channel, which is just my team posting about anything from, you know, Beyonce news to weird food stuff around the world— and it's, inc- I mean, I love it. I love to see, I mean, they're so dialed in. All of us are just dialed into the world. And and it really is informative. Just that, that one internal channel from 24 thoughtful people, you know, out and about is really informative for me. I think it's a brilliant idea to make your entire team your news feed. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, and you have, there's a, a way to, to make that happen. Yeah. So... We here at Speaking Broadly, I always ask my guest to nominate someone to join the Hall of Deems. Yes. And so I'd like to ask you, who would you nominate to join the Food Hall of Deems? Well, I'm going to nominate, I mean, uh, I'm going to nominate Maggie Lacoze from La Bernadette, the co-owner of La Bernadette. And I will say there, I work with a number of women who are partners um, of great chefs or restaurateurs um and and they are really the backbone of the organization but none of them get much credit for it and it's not that the men would begrudge them at all it's just the way it has worked out um so maggie is is not alone in that but but maggie 
uh, I admire her and and these other women too. That, that kind of quiet competence, where you don't. It doesn't need to be about her. She doesn't need the adoration. It's not about ego. But she has sets her own rules and and certainly sets rules for her team too. And on the line, the last couple of pages are her, her sort of. Um, which is Eric Repair's book. Oh, yes. Um, online. Yes. And so what does Maggie do behind the scenes? I've, you know, she, I see her. I give her kisses on both cheeks because yes, she's French. And, uh, and she feels like such a strong presence. Mm-hmm. And it is in many ways. You know, it's her restaurant and Eric's restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is her personality shown through the business? Well, I think that's what is kind of the magic of it is, I mean, to hold four stars as long as they have um and and you know that's a lot of years i mean 30 something so to maintain that that level of excellence requires a fierce commitment and yet it also needs to not you don't need to see any of that when you enter the the restaurant so i i mean you know she was wearing pantsuits like way before it was cool uh-huh. and she was kind of anti-skirt and she wanted the the beauty to be on the plate and to be the food and nothing in the dining room should distract from that. And she also, you know, she taught me the art of the, this French goodbye, which I so have not mastered and never will because I'm not French. And she's just naturally cooler than me. But um, but she would come by, I hosting some media person or something, and she would come, you know, the kiss on each cheek and she just, you know, would be there pleasant, you know, share a few pleasantries. And then, it might. I might be speaking mid sentence. She just floats away. <laughs> like just there it is. It's just she's gone, you know, and it's poof. So she, her whole calm, cool, and effortless way that she is, which is so, not a facade, but you know the the real drive back there is so is so there and getting it done on a daily basis you don't see that at all so that effortlessness that quiet competence i admire greatly and probably whatever she's doing on uh, behind the scenes mm-hmm. is quite intense and direct oh certainly oh yeah she's a taskmaster yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> very opinionated well that is our show for today um becca i want to thank you so much for coming and joining me and sharing your wisdom Thank you for having me. I want to thank my amazing engineer, David Tadashore. I want to thank our guests, uh, Alina and Delilah. (laughs) Without you, this show wouldn't have been as terrific as it was. And looking forward to hearing and seeing you all next week. Thank you, Dana. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 